0: Hello and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data, and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Dev Life series. Hello and welcome to part two of our mini series on mental health. I'm Developer Advocate Chris Castle. And I'm here today with guests, Dr. Muriel Reese, practicing clinical psychologist, and Adam Stakoviak, founder and editor in chief of the Change Log, and co-host of the Brain Science Podcast. So let's jump in. So we in the previous part we talked um, a lot about therapy, talking to someone, using the supportive and and like educated people that understand this stuff. Um, but sometimes that's like too much. Of a hurdle for people, and they need to take a baby step in in some direction. What are what are some other things, Muriel? Even even maybe that you recommended to clients, or things that you would share with people to help them work on themselves on their own, like the homework, maybe.
1: Well, one of the things I think that is super helpful for people to start with in terms of understanding is that emotions fundamentally are energy. So. It's much more helpful when we imagine sort of moving or bartering them. In the same way, like money, we think about where we spend our dollars or whatever currency you have, but that you go, I need to exchange. And so if I'm anxious – one of the best things i can do is sort of move or sort of upset that internal homeostasis and and the same thing with depression i mean sort of the best antidepressant to some degree is exercise because of the way it helps both our brain and our body like one of the things with people who struggle with depression that can be really challenging is sort of cognitive rigidity or this binary all or nothing thinking mm-hmm and exercise by its very nature actually helps with neuroplasticity so it helps your brain it's like yoga for your brain yeah you can see things and contort your perspective better just by moving your body
0: Mm -hmm. yeah
1: and I know people are gonna be like oh I don't I don't want to (laughs) move
0: right well I mean I've always felt that that sense but never fully understood it I was like is it I just went for a run or a bike ride. Do I feel better because, you know, my body just produced whatever like the hormones are that make me feel good. Um, or is it because I've focused on something different, right? Like I've been focusing on the pursuit of running or or biking or whatever it is rather than ruminating on something or is it something
2: else? Like never fully understood it. So that was interesting. Kind of all that. Like we did a show on that in particular, like stepping away to get unstuck. And that's kind of what it is. It's like you, You know, you need that gap, even with rumination, like you would just sit there and mull over it and just all these. And you'll start to make up different scenarios that just aren't true or are true. And they're just more so far more severe than you. They really are. And exercise alone. And we're not saying and I think Mario, too, is not saying like it'd be great to have this exercise body and do all these different things. It's it's not even about your body. It's about just getting out there and just moving beyond just simply your desk. Or just taking a walk, just being active in any sort of way, not so much to be physically fit or any of these things, just more so just because your body and your brain really thrive when you do so. You know, one, physically, physical health, but then two, your brain really needs that that motion. And as you mentioned, Chris, you probably feel better because you stepped away and you focused on different things and you gave your brain that opportunity to sort of like think about different things and come back to whatever it was you were struggling with, with a different perspective.
1: Yeah. And Adam, you're spot on. It's it's not even just like strenuous exercise. I mean, like just not being sedentary. Yeah. I mean, one of the sort of ramifications in my life from COVID was really just not moving. I mean, there aren't that many steps <laughs> throughout my home. Yeah. Either that or my... <laughs> I'll, I'll leave my phone in the other room so it doesn't count them. <laughs> yeah, right. My step count is in nowhere near the range. It was... Before and you know, really just walking is a twofold gig, and that being outside again has an you have access to upset the homeostasis. And here in the Pacific Northwest, you know, it can be challenging, especially certain months when it's you know a little drearier, rainier, etc. And I always encourage people to just gear up and be like, you just need to be outside. And so, again, if I'm going, how do I? I make the sort of goal so small that it doesn't really feel hard. It would be like, can I just put two feet outdoors? Like I don't need to walk, but I'm more likely to walk if I'm outside my doors than I am inside my doors. So I'm just going to try to get outdoors and then just move and like, oh my gosh, there went five minutes and I felt better. I was exposed to other air, oxygen, and other sensory data. That upsets the internal homeostasis too.
0: Yeah, I was so I was going to ask about that. My so in prepping for this um, this podcast, I asked my mom, like, "Hey, what do you do for mental health?" And she said, "Go for a hike in the woods. Go look outside and look at the stars. Um, if you're not in an urban area where the stars are completely obscured, what is it about nature? And maybe this isn't true for everybody, but I know it's true for many people. Like, what is it about nature, or being in the woods, or being in the among trees, or a big open?" field or something like that. Do you know what that is, Muriel? Like why that is helpful or useful?
1: Well, I don't know exactly, but I can, you know, sort of project a couple of things. And one, you know, there is an actual electrical charge or current to our earth. So being outside changes things. But also too, if you just think of it from a sensory perspective of going, I've got the visual data with being outside, tactile smell, like Smell is a really interesting sense because our olfactory bulb is is located right next to our hippocampus, which is what's responsible for memory. So information doesn't have to go very far for a scent to take you back or take you to that place. And since senses are all live, like I'm not remembering what something smelled like in that moment, I could be remembering something else, but I'm actively smelling and taking in that sensory data. So it's really sort of this mindfulness and distraction and different electrical current sort of thing. Hmm.
0: Is that true for you, Adam? Would you say, like, is there, are are there certain places,
2: I guess, like maybe outside of your home that are like soothing or helpful for you? Even my backyard, like I, yeah, on the electrical chemical being thing. And so there is this phenomenon of being able to step out into grass or earth and have your physical feet, not your shoes, but your physical feet touch the earth. There is something that happens physiologically as a result of that and so I thrive there like that's why I love to mountain bike it's a lot of different mental challenges it's physical challenges I mean there's so many things that I like about that particular practice because one it's physically challenging two I get out into nature and I think I like to disrupt my days by going out into the world and not just like sitting here in my studio because that's pretty easy doesn't require much effort it's about 30 to 40 steps from my bedroom to my studio you know Mm -hmm it doesn't take much to get to where I'm at. So if I just wanted to do this, it would be easy to just do this. But definitely going out in nature, for some reason, there's something too when you men- your mom mentioned stars. That's actually not that funny because it just shows you that you're in this big world and there's more than just simply what you're experiencing today. And I like what Mario says about this senses because, you know, talking about mindfulness and grounding, you know, that your senses are alive. You taste, you smell, you see, all these things are alive. It's not Past memory, it's not rejiggered memory or something changed by emotion. Like these things are live. And so I think you kind of reconnect with where am I? Who am I? What am I doing today, right now? Because you can change tomorrow and even the moment you're in now. You can't change yesterday. So as a human, we travel through time. And so that reminds me that what I have an opportunity to change is right now and tomorrow, not yesterday. So all I can do is move forward. It's a reminder of, I guess, our humanity.
1: Yeah. And so with that, you know, one of the other really helpful strategies that people can do is mindfulness, which mindfulness is really just orienting to the here and now, not whatever I'm imagining. And so, you know, for people, I can take this even a step further with when people are really struggling with anxiety or sort of panic. It's what we call grounding. And because those senses are all real time that you actually sort of name, you know, three things you could see, smell, touch, taste, you know, or hear so that that's like, oh, not all of this tornado that's going on in my head. Like this is actually what's happening now. And so, you know, my brain's not fast forwarding or rewinding, imagining the past or imagining the catastrophic future. But like, no, here now we need to just do this. And sort of a support to that is also meditation. You know, there's lots of different ways we can do this, but there's like guided imagery. There's sort of focusing on breath. There's a myriad of options. But luckily, there's fantastic apps nowadays. And especially in the COVID era, a lot of these are offering them free. So I want to say there's like Headspace and Calm Mm -hmm. are two of the best ones that I've found to help people.
0: I found that having some guidance is super useful there's kind of like a ritual to it there's like listening to this person's voice kind of gets me back into that the state of mind that i'm trying to get in or helps me focus
1: yeah because it's really just providing a sort of guardrail framework and and the purpose is to sort of lower your overall threshold so instead of waking up and starting your day at an activation level of sort of eight out of ten that you're like all right i'm more like at a five or a four which gives you so much more space for the challenges of the day
0: yeah can you describe activation level? What you mean by like waking up at that activation level?
1: Well, sort of like what, where you're energized in it, sort of it can be like negative emotion, be it anxiety, be it overwhelmed. One of the things that's really important as you sort of learn about yourself is to be able to have a repertoire of vocabulary. We always say over on Brain Science and other um, neuropsychologists or clinicians have said this before, is name it to tame it. And that the more I have a vocabulary to define what's going on internally, it better helps me choose how to respond to that emotion. So activation is just sort of what's my emotional charge and sort of positive or negative, you know, level of distress. Some people, clinicians talk about SUDS as an acronym, which stands for subjective units of distress.
0: Yeah, I think of it. So when you first said that, I the first thing I thought it was more like, my reactivity level. So I tend towards like kind of anxiety, um, internally. And so for me, uh, I, I like to work on not immediately reacting to everything I'm feeling or thinking right away. And kind of, um, someone described it well the other day. It might've been one of you two actually. It was like responding to something instead of reacting to something, um, respond mm-hmm. kind of implies or has connotations of like, a more thoughtful, purposeful action as opposed to reacting is like, oh, I touched the stove, it burned, I, I jumped away, right?
1: Yep. And there's that's really a big difference because that gets at that sense of agency and self-control of going, you know, things are going to be upsetting. I was listening to someone compare even, you know, how we see a heartbeat appear on a monitor, right, as up and down, which ironically is indicative of life, right? If I have a heartbeat, I'm living, whereas flatline, <laughs> we don't want to be. And yet I think people try to constrict restrict their bandwidth of their emotions, which looks more like a flatline. And it's like that isn't what we're trying to optimize for. It's being able to navigate the ups and downs as they come instead of you know pushing back and resisting against fluctuations in our mood.
2: What you're speaking to is that feedback loop. Yeah. Right. So when we lose that feedback loop, even like with pain, with fear, with, you know, positive or negative emotions, like it's all feedback. And as you said, Chris, how do you, you know, respond or react? It's, it's, it's indication, it's data. If we can think like rationally, like all incoming things are data. So if you just sort of suppress your fear, suppress your anxiety, suppress all these things that it's, it's a feedback for, and even the body's way of telling you something's right or wrong and to which degree, because you need that feedback to make a choice.
0: The point is not to suppress that feedback, whether it's positive or negative,
2: but to, to understand it, get curious. We always say, be your own scientist. Yeah. Right. Take notes of those things. It's an important thing around journaling even, and people can journal every single day or they can journal once a month. Just basically being aware of how you feel, when you feel, whatever, might be important to you. Be your own scientist is capturing your own data. And these feelings and these things are just simply data and feedback for you to understand you better and to do you better by making different choices.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up with the journaling because I also would say tracking. Like if there's so many great things out nowadays, if you just look online for like mood trackers, because right, I can imagine back to how I've been feeling, but I'm doing that today. And today I'm not feeling what I was two days ago because that was two days ago. So to capture the data as I go about my days or at the end of the day really goes, do you know what? I really didn't feel as bad as I thought I did. Here was my rating system or coloring system. And so that I have an idea in 30 days or even just a week to start. This is sort of the template of mood that I tend to fluctuate through or through.
0: Yeah, it's hard to sometimes like... Zoom out and be like, oh, how have I been d- feeling over the past month? But if
2: you have, if you have taken some notes or, or written some thoughts down, that can help a lot. I can give you a concrete example of this, too. I used to use Day One, which is an app hmm. that essentially it's like a personal journal for just you. It's like blogging just for you, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I used to be far more diligent with it. And I was actually really impressed with Old Adam. Like, I was like, dang, dude, you had some cool <laughs> thoughts, man. Like, that was yeah. a fun dream. Like, that we've never done that, like, you know, yeah. in this whole we, because we are we. It's you, me, right. and it's we. And okay, uh, we, yeah. we have this sort of inner dialogue. And it. I asked Mary on one show, I'm like, is that us being crazy when we speak to ourselves? And, you know, I was speaking to my old me, essentially, or just like having this internal dialogue. Like, you know, you weren't crazy. This was a fun thought. That was a fun idea. You know, and it reminded me of, like, hopeful Adam you know, a time when I had maybe more resolve, more resilience or a different train of thinking. And I think that's what journaling can offer. And I don't do it diligently, even though I've had that payout, I'm still not a habitual daily journaler. However, I can see the benefit in it because I even wrote this one. I think I might've shared it on, on a podcast, Mary. I was like, I wrote to future me and it was amazing. Like I read it back to myself and I like almost came to tears, like old me five, six years ago, whatever, was talking to me today, reading this old journal entry and I was profoundly moved by it. It was it was amazing. So there are payouts, and that's uh, that's something that was personal and, and interesting to me. Like it did have that payout, and I was like, "Old Adam had hope, and he had great ideas." And I'm still that same Adam. It reminded me that right. I'm still me. I'm still capable. Yeah. You know.
1: You know, one of the things that I think is interesting, tagging off that too, is recognizing the value of visualization. Like our brains don't necessarily know the difference whether or not we sort of imagine something or we're actually doing it. It still has to run the same neural network, so to speak. This is why in athletics, a lot of sports teams, athletes use this to enhance their performance because it still activates the same sort of muscle memory. So picturing yourself and going, where do I want to be? How do I want to feel? What do I want to be doing when this sort of mental health issue is no longer an issue in the same way like how will i find freedom and what will my life look like and how will i be able to function that is super appealing
0: yeah so there's two other things i wanted to chat about one is intake so like food and drink um impact Mm -hmm. on mental health and then the last one was um sleep so (laughs) yeah let's chat about food how can that impact positively or negatively my brain how i'm feeling how i'm acting or behaving
1: big time again this is where people are like come on I just want to be able to eat whatever I want and still feel good I'd say like you well you can but like all things it's like there's a cause and effect and all of our bodies are designed differently so being your own scientist and paying attention like you know I don't feel good after I eat dairy or I don't feel good after I have gluten it doesn't matter that I'm not celiac you know, or am I eating a ton of processed foods or drinking, you know, you know, regular consumption of alcohol of sorts? It just affects us. It's not good. It's not bad, but recognizing that mm-hmm. your intake could produce or contribute to some of the mental health, you know, issues you're navigating, yeah, I mean, for example, in one of our shows, we had on a caffeine expert mm-hmm. and going, if you struggle with anxiety, I'm not sure you want to be drinking a ton of caffeine, as she said, it's not bad, but like, how can you be, you know, deliberate? Utilize that sense of agency and choice to go, what works for me? And I would ask you, is it worth it? Is the cost you pay to <laughs> indulge or enjoy that, is it worth it?
0: I had one of those days a couple days ago where I uh, had too much coffee, and that night I was lying in bed at like midnight unable to get to sleep, ruminating about like something that happened at work that was kind of like getting me worked up. And I, I tried to stop thinking about it, but it just kept coming back up.
2: Yeah. Your comment though, Mary, of, is it worth it? Reminds me of the, what are you optimizing for? And back to what you said about knowing yourself and what you value and what you're trying to do, because if we all have goals, right. And we understand what, you know, maybe sleep or food intake or lack thereof may do to us. And that whole, is it worth it? That means that you've you have an understanding of who you are, who you want to be, who you're striving to be better at, the values in which you hold to get there so that when you make these choices, well, should I drink that third or that cup of coffee at three in the afternoon? I like coffee, so maybe, yeah, but is it worth it? Because I'm trying to optimize for a day tomorrow that's you know full of stuff and I got to get good sleep tonight, so maybe the choice, and not criticizing you, Chris, but like, That's what I mean. Like, if you understand what you're trying to optimize for then, and if that's clear to you. So for us, it's like, what is clear, you know, expectation and clarity. If I have that for myself and others, I can navigate my choices, my values, the things I'm trying to do more easily because, well, if it was super clear to me of what I expected of myself tomorrow, and I know that a 3 p.m. dose of coffee or caffeine or whatever your choice may be impacts my sleep. I may choose differently because I'm optimizing for, because I have an understanding of who I am and what I value to make a different choice.
1: Yeah. And so I want to bring back sleep and go, you know, sleep is significant. And, you know, I've looked at people who've, you know, come in with one sort of issue or another and realizing that their sleep is really out of whack and going, you know, you're probably going to need to follow up with your medical doctor about some of these things because I suspect that the issues you're struggling with are connected to that. So a mental health issue could present and say like, hey, it's anxiety, depression, stress, but let's make sure we rule that out, that that is not a contributing factor. Mm -hmm. And ironically, there are, are even therapies too for like insomnia as an actual issue to go help improve in that way that's a behavioral strategy not necessarily a medication although medications are often used for insomnia
2: and like anything too like uh, an athlete performs rituals on the daily to compete at the highest level so every day michael phelps won you know but he didn't just win at the olympics he won every day because that's how he practiced and similarly we do certain actions whether it's at work whether it's at play and maybe with sleep is a ritual of some sort or some sort of common thing like for me i have those things like if i'm off my beaten path i'm probably not sleeping as well because i have certain habits i do that get my brain into motion there's certain chemicals that get released in your brain as a, re- as a result of that and caffeine inhibits that sleep neurotransmitter to take place it numbs it essentially those kinds of things those patterns can be very helpful like for me you know maybe uh a shower in the evening before I go to bed, or certain things that kick me into gear to say, okay, Adam, it's time to get into rest mode. And if I don't do those things, it's like, well, it's kind of like a broken record. Like, it just doesn't play right. Yeah, it's like you've been bounced out of your happy path. Exactly. Not in the groove is where that uh, that terminology comes from. It's, it's from records. It's not in the groove. Or I'm in the groove. Yeah. Because a record needle is in the groove necessary to play the right soundtrack. Right. So
0: there was um, uh, an acronym that I think you... Mentioned or, or wrote down here in our notes, Muriel Halt.
1: Yes, my favorite.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Can we finish with uh, what, is, what does that mean and how do you apply that?
1: So Halt is significant because it doesn't matter your age, your capacity, competency, skills, etc. cetera. These four things will always affect sort of how you respond throughout your days. And that is, are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely or tired? Halt. And if one or more of those things are true, that likely is going to influence your perception and how you manage yourself and your work responsibilities and relationships. Right. I mean, that's why we hear things like hangry. Right. <laughs> yep. Because I got the the hybrid of being hungry and angry and going, look, like we are electrochemical beings and without I mean, I wouldn't expect to go get in my car If I had an empty gas tank, so why in the world would I expect that without food as fuel, I can actually do my day? And, you know, anger is just sort of like, you know, can be my car is in park and I'm spinning the wheels, revving the engine. So it just is too much energy as opposed to going, what can I do? And that's why asking yourself questions is one of the best places to start And like, what do I notice about myself? Where do I get stuck? What's challenging? You know, why is it whenever I leave, you know, that manager's office or this, you know, family friend's house, I don't feel so good. And so to be investigative, because when you ask questions, it actually prompts that process of discovery. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, even if you don't come up with like the perfect answer in your head, like it's still helpful.
1: It is because it moves you in the direction to get more illumination around where does the problem actually lie. And I this is why I love, you know, talking in the tech community with, you know, people who are thinkers and problem solvers and going, because I'm sure you guys never get stuck in your work.
0: <laughs> never.
1: <laughs> right? No. And you never have to ask questions or go back right. and undo and right? Yeah. But that this is the same process. You know, in, in my line of work, we're trained around recognizing that the tool that we use to do our work is ourselves. But that's true no matter what job you do. You always bring yourself to the work. And so when you care for yourself, you're actually caring for the work and outputting more of what it is you want to add to the world.
2: That keys off of my favorite chapter in one of my favorite books, which is Essentialism. And it talks about protect the asset. And in there, it's about sleep and the importance of it, but more so being you because you can only do you and be you if you're you, right? Yeah. He's talking about sleep and, and taking care of yourself primarily, but back to that point, like, if you're not who you want to be, you can't be who you are to the people that matter to you, whether it's work, whether it's relationships, it's family, etc. And so Protect the Asset is one of my favorite chapters of that book. It speaks to me so well and helped me understand how important it was to take care of me so that I can be me. That's great. Well... Let's finish on that. This this was a super
0: useful conversation just for me. I hope it was um, illuminating, useful, or at least interesting to uh, the listeners out there. But thank you very much for spending your time with us uh, in the show notes. You mentioned lots of your own your podcast episodes and other resources, or like the book Essentialism. So we'll we'll link to all that stuff in the in the show notes so other people can check it out after they've um, heard you mention it. Um, but yeah, thanks again for chatting about mental health.
1: Thank you so much. We really appreciate the opportunity and just care about other people having access to the information.
2: Thanks, Chris. been awesome.
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode
0: of the Kodish podcast. Kodish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Kodish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com podcasts.